Tyler, we are starting with media, actually. We're keeping it close to home. We're keeping it in the industry to kick off the show. Uh, What I want to talk about specifically is the New York Times and their digital revenue. Uh, We're hitting some all-time highs, actually, in digital revenue. So let me give the context. COVID has been a hard hit to print media. I mean, to media in general, but you can imagine why it's been extra hard for print media. Uh, Print media is has been on the chopping block of the entire industry for years now. So a pandemic that uh, tightens already tight budgets. And we talked about this recently on the show uh, as more uh, large-scale corporate entities buy out local newsrooms, especially local papers, and uh, continue layoffs and furloughs and sort of bleed them dry and reduce the newsroom to a skeleton crew, uh, you can imagine why a pandemic wouldn't be a great uh, extra you know, concoction to throw into that mess. So on top of all of this, because of COVID, like many industries, marketing budgets were some of the first to be reined back during the pandemic for media companies. This has led to tens of thousands of industry-wide layoffs, furloughs, and pay cuts for the whole industry. Um, For the New York Times specifically, in context, this looks like ad revenue falling 32% in digital uh, and 55% in print, which is a major cut. It's almost a third and over a half, respectively, for digital and print. And they also laid off 68 employees in June. Uh, So they haven't been, yeah, I know, they haven't been immune to the COVID um, calamities. However... This has also been a period of major growth for the New York Times' digital products. And in the last three months, the New York Times had such digital success that they reported quarterly revenue that relied more on digital sales than print sales for the first time ever, which is kind of nuts, actually. Um, Huh. To further contextualize this, the Times brought in about $185 million in revenue for digital subscriptions and ads during the second quarter of 2020. Uh, the number for print revenue was about $175.4 million. Um, and that $185.5 is obviously over $175.4. So hmm. a, a larger chunk of their uh, Q2 sales came out of their digital subscriptions and um, services. And this added a net 669,000 new digital subscribers, which is its biggest ever quarter for subscription growth. 493,000 of those are specifically for its core news product, which is just you have access to the New York Times. Another 176,000 subscriptions, though, uh, purchased things like the cooking and crossword apps and other digital offerings that the New York Times gives, which I thought was interesting. Um, The marketing money like we mentioned earlier for the Times, used to promote subscriptions, though, was way down this quarter. Hmm. And that brings up an inter- uh, excuse me, an interesting dynamic uh, because we saw huge growth amid a massive cut. So imagine, and you don't have to imagine it because this is exactly what happened, uh, they cut their marketing money around uh, subscription promotion in half. So went from 300, excuse me, went from 33.9 million to uh, 16.5 million. So more than a, a 50% reduction in subscription advertising but they still hit record high digital subscription numbers 
which is it's just a very interesting dynamic here. Uh, so let's uh, just hear some thoughts from CEO Mark Thompson of the New York Times. Uh, in some press conversations, he said, quote, um, called this a key milestone in the transformation of the New York Times. He said, quote, we've proven that it's possible to create a virtuous circle in which wholehearted investment in high-quality journalism drives deep audience engagement, which in turn drives revenue growth and further investment capacity. And this has been the Times' uh, you know, a digital strategy for a while, mm-hmm. um, creating a, a digital subscription that uh, is you know, very similar, if not more robust than what you get out of a print subscription. And more specifically, uh, they are offering it as a a paywalled solution, right? So uh, after you run out of a certain amount of browser clicks, you can't access New York Times stories anymore. And they're going to make you create an account. They're going to make you subscribe. And uh, they've been doing that since 2011 for their digital content to a lot of anti-paywall criticism. Uh, And yet, almost 10 years later, we see major growth even with that paywalled content. So, Tyler, any major takeaways from this to start? Uh, you know, just give us your initial thoughts, and then I'll continue to field some questions because I think there are some uh, varied dynamics here that are worth unpacking. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting aspects of this is the fact that they cut that marketing uh, spend in half that they typically use to promote subscriptions, and yet they got more. And so, uh, you know, that that to me is interesting and probably indicates that there was a reallocation of those dollars to something else uh, that ended up being more beneficial. So I, I'm curious as to what that was, you know, what that move was that really allowed for them to um, to see a jump in subscribers uh, while spending less money telling people to subscribe, right? So maybe if you give people more of a reason to subscribe, whether it's better content or they highlighted their content in a different way that was attractive to people. And, and I'm sure to a certain extent, people want to be as informed as possible during this time. Um, you know, it's an election year, there's a pandemic going on. So I, I think that there, you generally see a... Um, you know, a, a, a spike in interest in the news during times like this. But I, I do think that it's worth noting that when you spend less time telling people that they should subscribe to your, your, your news outlet and more time giving them reasons why it's a good idea by, you know, pushing out stuff that they care about, I think that that's probably um, a worthwhile takeaway for lots of, um, you know, lots of media entities uh, these days. And I, I also think to a certain extent, people are getting more comfortable with the idea of a paywall. Like I'm a, I'm a big sports fan. So I follow the athletic and a lot and a lot of their writers and all the time you'll see people push back on their writers and say, Hey, I'd sure like to read this, but it's behind a paywall. And you know, the, the response is almost always, well, (laughs) we have to get paid for our work somehow. And this seems to be the best model for it right now, you know? And, and so I, I think that there's, there's maybe a, a, um, loosening of public opinion towards uh, paywalls and towards having to pay for information. And I I think that probably is also going to benefit an outlet like the Times. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to think about uh, this departure from criticism around uh, paywalls. Like, I really haven't seen it be a a consistent talking point recently, and I still have a lot of friends in the media space. I'm sure you do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I remember when I was going through school, this was still a major talking point and something that we would, you know, give our hot takes on all the time. Um, but especially with a pandemic, uh, the idea of paywalled content, uh, I don't think feels as foreign. I think a lot of individual consumers are realizing that everyone is roughing it right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, the idea of paying for your individual services more concretely, you know, I'm going to pay more for delivery. I'm going to pay more for, uh, you know, uh, supporting local business, et cetera, et cetera, might change some of the public perception around, I want to, uh, you know, access this content and I'm willing to pay and get through a paywall for it as much as that is an inconvenience. Right. Uh, I, you know, we don't really have any data on that, but, um, I, I think if there was any scenario that would create that for consumers, it would be this. It would be a pandemic sort of forcing you uh, to reevaluate your relationship with businesses and with content that you interact with as a consumer and a reader of um, journalism, uh, you know, if you want to get even more granular. And so I think we have to think about what motivated these subscriptions in the first place if it wasn't a more focused marketing budget spend. Uh, was it just the quality of the content improved? Uh, that would be an interesting study. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, is as um, objectively subjective as it could possibly get. You know, hey, did the New York Times reporting improve? Um, maybe we'll launch that investigation soon. But uh, until then, all we can do is really just look at the world around us and see if any of that motivated. Uh, a flood of subscriptions to the New York Times because there wasn't a focused like PR campaign around drawing in new digital subscribers. So I would imagine it would be a mix of as people uh, are shuttered in and quarantined um, during this pandemic, there's probably some need to want to better understand what's going on around you. Right. Uh, so at least a good... Uh, 493,000 new subscriptions for their core news product felt like I need to better know what's going on during this pandemic, and the New York Times is going to be my best source for that. Uh, it could also have to do with the protests, or it could also have to do with the presidential race. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a lot going on right now, a lot of simultaneous action um, that is newsworthy, that has major uh, national consequences. So I I can see those being motivating factors for drawing people to something like the New York Times. I also find it interesting though that uh the new, new excuse me that the New York Times is the one seeing such growth. Uh I'm not seeing any articles out there any stories out there about small independent newsrooms, uh, especially uh print/digital uh, newspapers or magazines in their respective communities seeing major boosts. And I wonder, um, you know, is this another representation of the division uh, both within the media sphere and also the kind of redistribution of wealth that COVID is creating right now uh, due to a lot of the responses to COVID um, small businesses and small operations across every industry are being choked out, and uh, and even with the uh, small business loans that the government provided, uh, for a lot of them, it wasn't enough. 
or they didn't get the full amount or the money was, you know, millions of dollars was going to like <laughs> uh, multi-million dollar food chains, right, being distributed in, in the wrong way. These companies are now folding. And what that is leaving behind is the ones that survived usually are the larger corporate entities with more capital resources uh, and more ability to weather the storm, even if they fall into debt. Um, so if you, we, you know, if we take that to the media sphere as well, mm -hmm. um, could this drive to the New York times be both something exciting for the idea of, uh, media adapting from print to digital? Yeah. But I think it can also be seen as a potential warning sign to uh, to the fact that consumers just don't really have a great relationship with the media right now. True. Um, both from uh, a perspective of stuff we've talked about here, which is just like a more interpersonal cultural response to you know fake news, fake media, um, but also just I, I think people have a um, a relatively undeveloped. Uh, digital fluency or digital literacy around journalism content. Uh, you know, there isn't a gr great deep understanding within a lot of people, and this is anecdotal, I, you know, definitely anecdotal, but I'm just assuming, uh, isn't a great rundown uh, with the general person uh, of what is a huge variety of local journalism content I can consume, what's a huge variety of independent sources that I can turn to. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, that just becomes... Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, uh, things like The Times, The Post, etc., uh, etc., et right? The, the institutions that uh, are, are leading uh, in size and uh, in relevance. So if all viewership turns to, uh, you know, The Post or The Times or CNN, uh, what happens to the smaller operations that are still being gutted that are still experiencing layoffs, pay cuts, and furloughs, that are still experiencing marketing budget cuts, you know, so it's not like they are getting their message out to people more effectively. Mm -hmm. um, to some degree, it feels like the power imbalance within the industry, like we're seeing in many other industries, is being re-cemented. So that feels like the duality of this situation that um, is most poignant for me, because this is both an exciting development and one that could be a telling of how... Uh, consumers eat up their media and what the effect of that is going to be moving forward for smaller local outfits that are wanting to, uh, you know, do the same, you know, obviously wanting that readership. So any thoughts on that? That's a really good point. Um, man, that's, uh, I, I would, I would really like to believe that, that people are hungry for more actual journalism, but I, I remember, when I was in radio, our biggest numbers obviously came during the election year. And we, you know, p p there was increased interest. People wanted to hear what we were saying about those particular issues. And so I, I, I would like to believe that this, this would be a, um, this would be a, a wave moving forward for local journalism and that this can filter down into, you know, more local papers and things like that. I just, I just don't see the model being in place for a lot of those uh, types of papers and those types of, um, of those outlets to be able to take advantage of a, um, of an increased interest in, in news and in things like this. And so I, I'm, I'm, 
skeptical that this will be a bigger wave, but I, I'm happy that um, that at least one newspaper is seeing a uh, seeing a big bump from uh, from the current times, I suppose, and that uh, that it's been beneficial for them. And hopefully, I, I would like to believe that this leads to to more growth throughout the uh, the print sector. But I'm just I'm just not positive. At the very least, uh, I hope that this uh, showcases to consumers and to media outfits that, um, you know, even a a really cheap uh, digital paywall for content uh, can be both a revenue generator and can be uh, a feasible way to operate a business model um because it's working for you know a major outfit like the new york times so i i True. i hope it doesn't become something where yeah i mean i mean realistically we're getting to the point where consumers are gonna have to pay for every single one of their services separately you know mm-hmm. I mean, we're seeing in the streaming era the way people interact with their content is really becoming this curated you know i'm gonna pay for a bunch of individual services at a lower cost uh and they'll start to add up right so I doubt a lot of people are going to buy 10, 20, 30 different newspaper subscriptions. But for the few within their community, you know, let's say a, a couple national and a, a few community ones, uh, at the $2, $3 a month uh, price point that a lot of these subscriptions on, even the, you know, I see some that are like a dollar a month. Um, that is. Uh, potentially accessible to many people, and uh, if it is reaffirmed that this is normalized, right, that, like, you as a consumer should interact with this paywall in a much more normalized fashion. Stop complaining about it. This is just the way it is. This is how news is going to survive, and we should encourage that and and encourage people to uh, purchase their news that way. Then, you know, maybe we can overcome that barrier for the industry, especially as the sort of toxic relationship with ad dollars in the industry, um, uh, you know, continues to bas- basically be the revenue generator for a lot of independent media, and mm-hmm. that can create a lot of conflict of interests. That's a whole other conversation, but I-, I think that's a good place to put a pin in this story. Definitely. Definitely. This was a snippet from Business Casual with Daniel Litwin and Tyler Kern, your B2B morning radio show. Tune in Wednesdays and Fridays at 9 a.m. Central on the Simple Radio app or marketscale.com slash industries.